Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. We have a palindromic day today. It's Thursday, March 23rd, 2023. That's 32323. I don't know. It's probably one of those things where it's not going to happen again for another 10,000 years. So, you know, enjoy it. I'm John Podhortz, the editor of Commentary Magazine. With me, as always, executive editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Media commentary columnist and American Enterprise Institute senior fellow, Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. And Christine's AEI colleague and our Washington commentary columnist, Matthew Cottonetti. Hi, Matt. Hi, John. Okay, I got nothing to say about the Trump mess, except that uh, despite the fact that more people yesterday said to me they also didn't understand exactly the argument that the uh, Trump's lawyer uh, had to uh, had to testify essentially against him on the grounds that Trump had misled his lawyer. Um, it didn't make sense to me, and it doesn't make logical sense to me, but uh, that decision by one judge on the D.C. Circuit was affirmed by a larger panel of the D.C. Circuit. And so unless, I think, unless the Supreme Court were somehow to intervene, uh, Trump's lawyer is going to have to testify about whether Trump gave him false information or whether he, I mean, I, I don't know, I whatever. Anyway, apparently this is like a landmark moment in the history of everything. Uh, guys, any, any, any thoughts before we move on? Well, I think it, it's a, a big development in what's probably the most um, legally solid case against Trump being pursued at various levels, uh, in this case by the special counsel Jack Smith in D.C., who's investigating both Trump's actions uh, leading up to January 6th, uh, as well as the documents. And so this uh, ruling, referring to the lawyer, is related to the document investigation. And you know, we were talking yesterday about how, well, you people lie to their lawyers all the time, but the lawyer can't then lie to the court. I think that's the that's the problem here. And so based on the false information, uh, the judge says Trump was giving the lawyer. The lawyer then made false representations to the court, which can't do. So now he's ruled and then the D.C. Circuit panel has ruled that that means that the lawyer is going to have to testify about what happened. Uh, which could provide additional evidence that Trump obstructed justice. So it's a big development, I think, on a, on a case um, that is, has more heft than what D.A. Alvin Bragg is pursuing in New York. And it should be noted, too, um, the grand jury in New York was supposed to meet yesterday. It was canceled. And now there's, you know, there, you know it's an open question whether it's going to meet today, Thursday, uh, as, when we record this podcast. So something's going on in New York um, that I think speaks to the weakness of Alvin Bragg's case, just as something that's happening in D.C. speaks to the potential strength of Jack Smith. The only leak we have about why the grand jury proceeding was canceled yesterday uh, in New York is that there there's another witness who couldn't get there. And apparently this witness, again, according to the leak, uh, was going to rebut the argument of Mr. Costello, who is the one person that the Trump team requested be allowed to testify to impeach the testimony of Michael Cohen, Mr. Costello's former client. So two thoughts present themselves, or the, maybe even just one thought, which is that Costello was sufficiently convincing in his testimony that Bragg and his team believed they needed to bring somebody in to impeach Costello in order to get the grand jury to move on toward an indictment. The other is that they're dotting I's and crossing T's and that this they're not on the calendar that we think they're on. They're not on a calendar. This calendar was sort of imposed on this entire proceeding by Trump. And it's and they're not going to be 
sort of bullied into pursuing this on on his true social timetable. But if Trump, I, I've had that thought, but I, I can't help thinking that if Trump's truth social timetable was false, um, that that story wouldn't wouldn't have come back. That it could wouldn't have come out. That that the the that Bragg's office would not have pushed back in the press, as so as not to be sort of have the whole thing shaped uh, and bullied by Trump. I just, who knows? I mean, in the end, this is all, it's all immaterial. The only thing that matters is, is he or is he not indicted? Not when he is indicted. And yeah, if this is an indication that there is a 12th hour panic on the part of Bragg about indicting Trump, that's interesting and would also seem to fit the general atmosphere in which, as Abe, you said the other day, you can't find a single legal analyst anywhere in America who seems, with the exception of like Andrew Weissman, who is a who is an interested party. I mean, nobody seems to think that the case, as we have been told it is structured, is a good case. And it, you know, maybe that stuff has gotten to Bragg. You know, the team that is doing this, Bragg is not sitting there as the lead prosecutor. The team is, of course, evangelically committed to securing this indictment. They've been working on nothing else, and you know, they they want to get this done. And maybe all of the op eds and articles and things are are giving Bragg, you know, a a, a sense that this may be really, really, really a bad idea. I mean, again, this is all right. I mean, it's a reminder that it's a, it's a case that depends on a novel legal theory and the testimony of an unreliable witness. (laughs) And there was this letter that was, that was brought up yesterday, this letter that supposedly shows that he, that, that Trump never reimbursed Cohen for the, for the money that he supposed that he, that he paid to Stormy Daniels. So there's all this sort of stuff bubbling up right at the moment where the case should be actually locking down if they're going to indict and, and arrest Donald Trump. So, right. So, and, and there was odd radio silence out of Atlanta where the third case, the case against Trump's interference in the uh, post Georgia election counting question, um, which is interesting because Fonnie Willis, the DA there, uh, had said that final actions were imminent, and she said that in January, and we're now, you know, we're almost at the end of March. So that's interesting. Um, not none of it sort of you know uh, means anything. Uh, Trump, meanwhile, is spending his time issuing statements about how bad Ron DeSantis is. Um. So there's a statement by the 45th president of the United States that I've now decided, I think that uh, Trump is the reincarnation of uh, Tobias Smollett, the 17th century English writer, because his use of capitalization, all caps, weird typographical effects in his statements is uh is redolent of the moment before english was kind of standardized and the rules of english prose presentation were standardized so there's something so, sort of enjoyable it's like reading it's like reading Lawrence stern or tobias small it's you know it's a lot of a lot of weird spacing and things like that and odd spellings so i i i enjoy that because it co- brings me back to my you know undergraduate uh undergraduate days reading experimental but fiction from 300 years ago i think it's also a window into how many americans today speak and write english yes and the rules were standardized for some of us yeah <laughs> not for a lot yes. well sta- yes yeah, standardization is now is now out, out the window but uh what's important is you know seeing this line of attack that he is now developing which is that uh Florida was always in good shape. He's bad. The COVID three Florida, you know, like uh, had the third worst death toll in COVID, and uh, and he other places that listened to him had better, you know, had better records, and 
Uh, he got more votes than DeSantis did, and I don't know what else. So uh, it, it's all like that uh, thing that um, Steve Bannon said, you know, that one of Trump's gifts is the ability to sort of create a blizzard of BS. So he just like, it's not that there's one argument that he's making against DeSantis or a big, it's just like, he's just throwing stuff against the wall to see what sticks. It's like, uh, it's like John Belushi and the Blues Brothers facing Carrie Fisher, his ex-fiance, whom he left at the altar, who was pointing a machine gun at him. And he says, you know, you know. I ran out of gas. The you know uh, the, there was an accident. Uh, you know my, my my you know my father-in-law had a heart attack. Like he just throws every excuse you could possibly think of to explain why he didn't show up at his own wedding. Uh, does not seem to me to be a very effective strategy. Also, the, the this time around, I mean, it's the kind of thing he he has done before, but this time around, given the dynamic. Uh, with with DeSantis, he seems so pathetically envious of DeSantis's standing here. You know, it's it's all this like stop, don't like him, stop liking him. You you shouldn't like him. I'll li- like me. Um, it's a it's a different. It, it would be bullying if he somehow appeared to 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 be the guy with the upper hand, but he he doesn't in this. I mean, I, I, it is, though, effective in the sense that since the attacks began two months ago, Trump has risen in the polls and DeSantis has been sinking in the polls. And we saw evidence of that just yesterday afternoon with new poll from uh, Monmouth, I believe, that showed Trump with his uh, biggest lead yet in the, in, the, in the Monmouth poll and DeSantis sinking back to where he was prior to uh, the midterm election, which kind of gave him his bounce when he was strikingly competitive with Trump. So, uh, again, the question has always been, when will these attacks um, be uh, 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 responded to by 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 the their target, Ron DeSantis? And it seems to me that DeSantis is just beginning that process. He has a lot of ground to recover. So, he might have to resort to the blizzard of BS theory yeah. as well. Well, he also has that. He also has to now start responding, not just to Trump directly, but to the fact that he's now drawing the fire of mainstream media who want to portray him as worse than Trump. Right. So the, I, the story I saw yesterday that struck me was that AP did a story about the so-called don't say gay bill. And they used to when originally report or don't say gay law in Florida, because it's going to be expanded. And and they used to say what critics called the don't say gay gay law. Now they just say he's going to expand the don't say gay law, which is a choice. They're choosing now to use what the advocates who oppose this piece of legislation call it rather than what it's actually called uh, as proposed in, in the state of Florida. So those sorts of little shifts are happening all over the place with regard to DeSantis. So he's got two fronts to battle if he's going to be responding to the kind of criticism he's going to get both from Trump and the media. I do think that there is uh, there's something off about uh, the way we're talking about this in relation to national polling, um, because even if Trump's ahead by ten point whatever nationally, however you want to slice it, or you know they were they were tied, or DeSantis was a little ahead, and now it's flipped. The national polls really don't matter because you do have like a, a huge universe of people who are being telephoned nationally. Who's who? Who are not going to decide the election in the Republican Party? You know, sort of. It's, I'm not saying that it's not a referendum on general Republican views of Trump, which is very important. But you know, you do sort of have the classic: what's what do people in Iowa think? What do people in New Hampshire think? What do people in South Carolina think? The only real polling we've had out of Iowa shows DeSantis basically in a tie with. And- Trump, and that's going to be an Iowa, by the way, interestingly, because of the revision of the Democratic schedule and the downgrading of Iowa in the Democratic schedule. Um, Iowa could be d- twice as important for Republicans because they may have the field to themselves. It's not clear that all those those caucuses are going to meet on the same. The Republican caucus may take place at a different time from the Democratic caucus or whatever. And so that could be a bigger story in a weird sort of way. And that's a pretty interesting state as a bellwether of the, of the party, because, you know, Trump didn't win in Iowa in 2016. 
Cruz said, won. Yeah. Uh, Cruz won. And then Trump said that it was a cheap, yeah, they, they cheated. But do you remember, they, so DeSantis just hired the guy who ran Cruz's campaign to run his super PAC, Jeff Rowe, Jeff yeah. Rowe, who also is the guy who everyone credits with having gotten Glenn Youngkin in Virginia elected governor. So that to me is another sign that he's very serious about the path he's going to take and, and long-term strategic about it. Cause Rowe is yeah. sort of highly regarded in yeah, I mean, long-term is the key word here. Uh, we're speaking in March. Somebody uh, posted to Twitter uh, the other day, uh, actually in response to the Monmouth poll, uh, a graph of the uh, 2008 Democratic primary, where, of course, Hillary Clinton led uh, throughout 2007 up until basically December of 2007. Uh, and the Obama received uh, the Oprah endorsement. He's the one. He's the one, Barack Obama. And that's when the race began to change, leading to Obama's victory in Iowa and then um, the the long primary campaign, uh, his eventual victory. So uh, there's plenty of time for this to change. Uh, my point only is that right now, DeSantis needs it to change. Right. <laughs> you know, well, let's that's... talk about the way in which he's he he made a move or is making a move this week. In a, what is apparently a very long interview with Pierce Morgan, that Pierce Morgan on, on Fox Nation, that Pierce Morgan is rolling out in op-eds in the New York Post, um, in which he is, you know, starting to float his personal story about his parents and his upbringing and his wife's cancer, um, his sister's death, and uh, the walk back, uh, which is the story of sort of yesterday, the walk back of his. Parker Carlson questionnaire answer where he said that we did not have a national interest in Ukraine, instead telling Pierce Morgan that Vladimir Putin is a war criminal, which, by the way, led to the fascinating spectacle of my old colleague Tucker Carlson mocking the idea that Vladimir Putin is a war criminal. Vladimir Putin is a war criminal. That doesn't mean you have to take him out. That doesn't mean you have to defeat him in a war. You are not morally obliged to, you know, we're not the world's policemen and we're not morally obliged to go issue an arrest warrant and go get him. But, uh, you know, he's kidnapping Ukrainian children and taking them into Russia and re-educating them. You know, that's open and shut a war crime. I don't really know what else constitute what, you know, the repatriation and enslavement of of the children of another nation is, you know, I don't know. It's pretty, pretty open and shut. Uh, I don't think anybody uh, doubt denies the fact pattern. Putin, I believe, openly claims he's doing it because they're being, you know, mistreated or they're actually Russian or who knows what the hell it is he's saying anyway. Um so if that's the fight that, you know, the NatCons want to have, where they're going to actually now openly defend Putin against charges that he's a war criminal, you know, good luck to them. Yes, Tucker has three million viewers, and they may all agree with him, and the country has a hundred times the number of people who watch Tucker Carlson. So I don't think that's a great thing. And DeSantis, of course, has decided that he made a mistake. He or his campaign or whoever it is that wrote that questionnaire made a mistake, unforced error. He didn't need to have said what he said. It didn't help him. It only hurt him. What a, what do you make of that? Well, um, I'm not surprised. I was surprised that the pushback among Republicans was as swift and, um, comprehensive as it was at the time. Uh, but when I saw that, uh, I figured he would, he would, he would walk it back to some degree or at least clarify um, because he he was um, uh, there was there was so much sort of ambiguity with his with 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 his his whole take on uh, on Ukraine first first he he had uh, said it on a TV interview he he sort of bumbled the question and then and then in the Tucker Carlson thing but I have to say the walk back is not that thorough um, he says he misspoke. Um, that that if he could snap his fingers, he said, uh, and and get get Putin out of Ukraine, he would. But he still raised the. But what are, what are we really? What, what is our what are, what do we want to commit to to do about this? 
Um, perhaps we shouldn't do that much. I don't want to see boots on the ground. Well, first of all, no one's talking about American boots on the ground, but he is still definitely trying to um, assure the neo-isolationists that that yeah maybe he misspoke but um he's still kind of with them so i i was actually i was actually hoping for a a a, a more full-throated um uh, change of course it's a great rollout of this interview by pierce morgan i have to say i mean they spoke for about i don't know 45 minutes or however long you can fill an hour on television and yet he's been getting three days of stories out of it who and said it's only three there's uh, right there might be more well we're now we're, every yeah. part of the buffalo matt every I, I, part. <laughs> it's true but you know i think now we, we might be approaching the i mean what who i don't know but once you get to the human interest angle and piers margans starts saying to ron DeSantis, wow you're looking quite thin lately have you been you know and DeSantis go i'm cutting out the carbs i think that's kind of the end of the tape i don't know i mean i could be wrong there could be more revelations but i'm looking forward to my five-part interview with Piers Morgan. That's a lot of good publicity. The right could use that for sales. Um, I agree with Abe. It's not much of a walk back. It's clever because he's he he shifted the focus from Ukraine to Putin. So the problem with the statement was it seemed like he was going after Ukraine. This is a territorial dispute. Why are we so involved? We pushed, we pushed Putin into this position. We're pushing Putin into the arms of China. Um, the neocons and the globalists are behind all this. So then he's moved with this statement. He's moved it to be about Putin. Well, Putin is a war criminal. Putin shouldn't have gone in. Those territories, they are Ukrainian. But what I'm saying, and I'm speaking in DeSantis's voice, is we shouldn't be escalatory because we don't want to you know, engage in nuclear power. I think that's better ground for him to be on. I, um, it's not much of a change in his position. So I think it's still where a lot of Republicans are, even if it's not where we are on the commentary podcast. Uh, but it does, I think, help him politically because it's he's putting it on the bad guy. And the bad guy's Putin here. And I agree, John, the, the reaction by Tucker, I mean, I was it's warped. It's just warped. I don't even know why you would mock that. I mean, it just it, it it's completely incomprehensible to me. And I also think to most people, man, that they would hear something like that and they were just kind of like, what is going on there? DeSantis doesn't want to be in that camp. That's actually good for him that Tucker created some daylight between them. Well, Tucker was throwing a brushback pitch saying, right. you know, don't don't go go no go no farther or I'll come after you. On the other hand, this is the same Tucker who emails the Dominion email, you know, d dump has has revealed says he d Trump is demonic and he hates him. So, you know, where is he going to go? You know, it's not clear where he's going to go. And they're well, also, he's going to go to Putin. He likes Putin yeah. more than Trump. But yeah. Um, so I think this is interesting. So you're you guys are saying that this is not much of a walk back. So I think that we can discern the outlines of a of a of a strategy that uh or or a line or something that that santis is going to walk not only from this but from a piece by uh, catherine eban in vanity fair about how he is going to handle covid and the vaccine um it's a troubling piece to me uh but um given the uh what would you call it um uh so uh, he rolled out the vaccine early. Remember, he was even attacked for privileging the vac on, on 60 Minutes for privileging the vaccine in white areas instead of in areas of where people of color were living. All this having to do with what Walgreens had more vac vaccine in them than other Walgreens, which was Publix, like one of the I think. most. Wasn't it Publix? Was it Publix? It I'm was sorry. Publix, yeah, yeah. That's our Florida supermarket. Okay, so. thank you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, it was sort of a head shakingly unjust and crazy. It was totally story. misleading piece and of I reporting. Think he, too. And he got the better of it because it was one of those like, you know, what's wrong with you people? So he was early out as a sort of advocate of the vaccine. Now he has a public, now, now a lot of his public health stances have to do with. Not, you know, with uh, standing unambiguously against any kind of mandate that people need to get vaccinated. And that's been the case for a year and a half. 
And of course, with the developments in the, you know, po- Omicron and post-Omicron nature of the virus and the fact that the vaccine neither functions as a vaccine with some of these later variants because it doesn't it doesn't seem to have any uh preventative effect against your getting it again though it may have an effect against it being serious we don't really know that DeSantis may according to Catherine Eban that if you sort of discern what he's going on he may turn anti-vax or implicitly anti-vax or something like that. And that there is, of course, a larger public health threat, not in being opposed to further vaccinations of people for COVID, but because of the cultural world of the people who oppose that, who oppose vaccinations jumping on the back of this and then starting to say they don't want their kids vaccinated against mumps, measles, and rubella. But but the, what's frustrating about it, we had, we we many times during the height of the pandemic had this discussion on, on this podcast about the distinction that was really crucial between saying vaccines are good and everyone should get them and the government saying you can't, you'll get fired if you don't get one. And the range of choices and like who should actually be mandated to be vaccinated? How do we how do we balance freedom with with, um, you know, public health interests? And I I've come more and more to become deeply cynical, obviously, of our public health establishment, which continued to insist that that the vaccine would end transmission. And that's why you should get it. And if you didn't get it, you were going to kill people long past the point where it was clear that it wasn't stopping transmission. I think that that was there was this crucial window where public health folks and the government should have said, you know what, here's what we know it doesn't do, but here's all of the benefits and why you should still get it. And I think that the I think DeSantis early on by a lot of elite public health establishment types was called anti-vax when he was trying to thread that needle a little bit. So many of his policies in Florida actually were far uh, better for the for the uh, lives of of Florida citizens compared to, say, New York. He very early on had very strict policies about nursing homes and and care homes, for example. Uh, New York did not. New York completely bungled that and leading to the deaths of many, many people. That didn't happen at the same scale in Florida. So he did some things that could which exercise state power that were smart. But on this vaccine thing, I mean, I get I don't I'm not saying I have an answer one way or the other, but to call him just, oh, he's anti-vax. I think that's unfair of of the reporters who do that. And I certainly think it's unfair of the public health establishment. Now, some of the people he has in his government in Florida have said some kind of crazy anti-vax stuff like his was his attorney, uh, his surgeon general in Florida and stuff. So we have to be careful and he'll have to be careful about how he's parsing this. But he's not wrong to, to argue against mandates. I think that's something a lot of people in America feel is a legitimate position to take. For COVID, <laughs> not for a lot of other vaccines. And those distinctions have to be made. I mean, another distinction that needs to be made is the question of who who benefits from the vaccine, uh, assuming the vaccine is, um, you know, is effective, which is right. now the question or whether or not, you know, a variant of the vaccine would be effective against future variants. Right. But um, young children, for example, children, that that's exactly yes. the thing. Yeah. So everything is now everything got all bollocked up and confused because the the one the the people that we vaccinate essentially against their or with no with no thought to their will and their choice in the United States are young children like they are not they're not considered you know they can't say I hate needles so I don't want to be vaccinated you know we get we vaccinate them anyway we vaccinate them in whatever stages we do up to the age of 5 and and then and then they're vaccinated later for other things um and they can't go to school in a lot of places if they don't go through this process and in this case this is one circumstance in which kids really didn't need to get vaccinated they're the only people who need to get vaccinated in some circumstances although i think you need to get you know you need to get your german measles or rubella whatever you want to call it vaccination again when you're in your 40s because of um, shingles to avoid getting shingles but mostly when you're an adult like there's no you know you're not getting vaccinated exactly that's weird thing about covid was it was the first time any of us a lot of us except for getting flu shots have actually been compelled to get a get an injection of something and so even saying you don't think kids should get vaccinated in this circumstance in relation to covid that is not anti-vax but 
it's playing footsie with anti-vax because with the exception then again there's a also a gender difference here because uh there is some evidence that there is a myocardial problem with males with with males between the ages of 15 and 30 and maybe they actually shouldn't get vaxxed but not with females so it all gets jumbled yeah, I thought that the Vanity Fair piece uh, we're discussing kind of overpromised and underdelivered. The headline was "Inside Ron DeSantis's Plan to Ride Anti-Vaxism to the White House," and like Christine, when I hear anti-vaxism, I kind of think of you know uh, RFK Jr. and uh, Naomi Wolf, Naomi Wolf uh, yeah. yeah, and just conspiracy theorists who think all vaccines are some type of weird plot to um, alter our population. And so I read the piece looking for. Uh, similar evidence of conspiratorial thinking or uh, criticism of non-COVID vaccines, and I didn't find it. Um, so then it occurred to me that for liberals, <laughs> to be against the COVID vaccine is to be anti-vaccination in general. I don't think that's a um, an, a, a, an analogy that is in the minds of most Americans, and certainly not in the minds of most Republicans. So I was... Uh, slightly reassured by by the piece as opposed to being disturbed by it. it had the opposite of its intended effect on me i think that the um the danger for desantis is and you see it not only with the covid response stuff but also with the foreign policy positions is he has left kind of the uh, hansel and gretel breadcrumbs for uh people to attack him as a flip-flopper Right. You know, you can you have a he has a vulnerability where you can say, well, look, you were you were for the vaccine before you were against it. And it's really up to him to stick with his current positions uh, so that he doesn't wind up in a John Kerry like position where he kind of says something like, you know, I was for the eighty seven billion dollars before I was against it. And then that could easily um, uh, blow a hole in his whole candidacy. Okay, you but know, you know the other thing to say, if I could just put, bring this up, because I once again did you know incredible spade work as a as a researcher, and so you know I, I really dug <laughs> deeply into as the, always, yeah, as always. So you know one of the things about being anti-vax or whatever is there's this idea that somehow the Republicans are now all anti-vax, right? Eighty one point two percent of the population of the United States, the overall population of the United States has had at least one shot 70% almost fully considered fully vaccinated number of people in the united states who have not been va- who have received no shots against covid-19 16% okay so are republicans more anti-vax than democrats well listen to the states where they're the the most number of unvaccinated people are ready you're going to like this Vermont, District of Columbia, those are the only two over 30% unvaccinated. Massachusetts, not exactly a red state. Maine, okay, maybe Maine is like a purple state. Minnesota, not exactly a red state. Rhode Island, not exactly a red state. Washington state, not exactly a red state. Connecticut, not exactly a red state. Maryland, not exactly a red state. You have only... At this point, out of the top 10, New Hampshire and Wisconsin, uh, purple states. So who's anti-vax here? Now, this is another, I think it was yesterday we were discussing the sort of labeling of uh, by Democrats of, sort of every, every conservative and every conservative idea as MAGA. Anti-vax, the campaign, the idea here is to label distrust of the public health establishment and its conduct during the during the pandemic as anti-vax. Um, so you, it, it doesn't matter the details. If you're anti-Fauci, you're anti-vax. Um, if you're anti-mandate, you're anti-vax. Um, it is, it, and, and on that front, it is certainly true that I would, I mean, just, I'm just sort of inferring here that, that Republicans uh, and conservatives are more distrustful of the public health establishment. Um, so that is that is the game they're trying to play with this. Um, 
regarding uh, the the breadcrumbs that that DeSantis is leaving to 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 be called a flip flopper, I, I agree. Although I think it's it's kind of worse in a way because he is a politician that actually believes in some things, and not not all of them do. Um, and a sort of true flip flopper sort of has no core um, and can go back and forth. It opens him up to something worse when he does it because. He doesn't he's bad at it because he does actually have some core beliefs. So it's he's it's it makes him look more just like he's straightforward lying about what he genuinely feels. It's a good thing he's doing it now then before he's officially declared. He's kind of yeah. learning those ropes yeah. a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Can I just add one thing about what Abe just said? He's absolutely right. And I we saw this in the District of Columbia in in microcosm during the pandemic when People in my zip code were barred from getting their shots bef- until people in in more heavily African American zip codes got it first, like in in wards in the city. Like you literally were, they were rationing shots based on race. And even with all those efforts, and there's a recent video clip going around of of Anthony Fauci with DC's Mayor Muriel Bowser going and banging on doors in Anacostia, and they get absolutely schooled by people who trust me are not Republican voters about their mistrust. Again, historically, completely understandable mistrust of public health and elite officials coming in and saying, we want to give you this shot in the arm. But there was never a Democratic response to that 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 was consistent with the accusations they were making against Republicans. And that leads to further mistrust. So Abe's absolutely right. But I do want to point out again that if 16% of the population in the United States is not vaxxed and 81% has gotten at least one shot, um, there is an idea abroad in part because of the, you know, um, because of the public health fight that Abe alludes to, that uh, some kind of anti-vaxish message is a Republican winner, a vanguard Republican issue. And I just think we have this mass evidence, we have mass evidence that that is not the case. I mean, that is, we rarely have a circumstance in which the entire population of the United States is called upon to do something and then we can measure how many of them do it. In other words, not only don't we do we rarely, with maybe the exception of paying your income taxes, I don't think we have any such evidence ever about anything, practically. And the answer is that the overwhelming majority of Americans and the overwhelming majority of Republicans, and possibly more Republicans than Democrats, if the state numbers are correct, though mostly I was citing smaller states, obviously. So the the aggregation of all those states together might not even equal California. I, I, I don't know because I wasn't really paying that doing math in my head to see if they added up to 38 million. Nonetheless, um, you know, so don't there is a vanguard Republican you know, anti, you know, sort of libertarian, weird, anti-government, anti-public health, all of that all merged together that might make people think, particularly the very online DeSantis followers think uh, that this is the place to go. Anti-Fauci is the place to go. Anti, you know, sort of authoritarian measures controlling the population of the United States is the place to go. I just don't think the COVID-19 vaccine is the place to go. I do think people will draw distinctions because so many of them got the shot in their arm and aren't walking around going, I'm sick because of the shot in my arm. I, so so if he is tempted, even though the Catherine Eman piece doesn't, doesn't justify, as Matt says, it's you know hysterical focus, there's some reason to think that th- this is a temptation that he is going to face, sort of like the Ukraine temptation that he fell prey to. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's interesting in the interview with Piers Morgan, uh, he didn't really bring up the vaccine, but he focused on Fauci, which I think is uh the way to the way to go. The other thing that strikes me is it's so it's very backward looking. I can see how you can use Fauci and the pandemic lockdowns to attack Trump in a primary saying, you know, you bowed to the medical establishment while I decided to keep Florida open and free of mandates. And the results are proof that my approach was better. In a general election, arguing about the vaccine uh, is not going to be 
uh, I think, a vote moving issue. I mean, just we're we're speaking to, on the morning of March 23rd, and the report came out that Biden's going to close his pandemic office in May. So, like the pandemic's over. If you're still, if we're going, if we're in next year, and we're and the Republican nominee is still arguing about the pandemic response, I don't know how uh, relevant that will be to to most American voters. So I understand the context of a primary as an attack line against Trump, and I think it could work. Um, but uh, you, you have to eventually, we're going to have to talk about what we're doing now and in the future uh, for Americans. I, 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 I agree with that as a matter of like common sense logic, but um, the unprecedented nature of the interference with the, uh, with ongoing American life and some of the ancillary consequences, particularly the mental health crisis among America's teenagers and various other things. um, There may be resonances with that throughout 2024. We don't really know. We don't know what, what the news events of 2024 will be. Nobody knew that we were going to have a banking crisis in March of 2023, so God only knows. But uh, reminding people that Democrats were were eagerly restricting your personal freedom, if there's a way to do that that does not seem backward-looking but seems to connect to things that are happening in 2024... I think that will be a very powerful yeah. message. I yeah, just well, I, think, I mean, the line—the line will be, no matter who the nominee is, the line at the convention speech is, "I will never close the schools." Yeah, yeah. right. I mean, I think okay, great, but that's one line, you yeah. know. No, and unless know. we're in another pandemic, right? I, they're going to have to be talking about economy and uh, uh, and education and healthcare. Well, let's let's close out by talking about um, uh, another thing that has been a sort of rolling issue for three or four years, but has suddenly bubbled up again uh, pretty remarkably, which is the state condition, the ownership and the uh, cultural role of TikTok, uh, the social, the performative social media platform. Um, a hearing today uh, relating to whether or not a Biden administration demand of some sort that TikTok, uh, TikTok's corporate owner, ByteDance, which is a uh, conglomerate owned by the Chinese military, um, w- should be forced to sell TikTok uh, to an American owner. Uh, and here's what's interesting to me. Um because the argument that is being made has two fronts, and one of them is really not the right front, even though it's an important conversation to have, which is the effect of TikTok on teenagers and whether or not social media is bad for teenagers. Um, but of course, that has nothing whatsoever to do with whether or not TikTok, ByteDance should be compelled to sell TikTok. It does, though. Can I, okay. can I, can I interrupt right. to argue why? Because, okay, you know, let me finish my, yeah, point finish and, you, and then you, okay. <laughs> so because the issue here is does TikTok, does ByteDance's ownership of TikTok give ByteDance access to data information uh, and knowledge about what is going on inside the United States that an antagonist of the United States cannot be permitted to have that, that the, this has huge national security implications and that we already have an incidence in which ByteDance used the data that it holds on TikTok to investigate journalists who, in order to find uh, leaks that were hostile to, or the Chinese believed hostile to their interests. Okay, Christine, now so, tell me yeah. why I'm wrong. That the teenage... <laughs> well, you know, you're, you're not wrong. Okay. It's just that, that, that the, 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 there is a nexus that there's a kind of a Venn diagram where they overlap and it, and it has to do with domestic, you know, sort of U.S. domestic politics. You're absolutely right that, um, so Xiao Chu, who is the CEO of TikTok, is testifying today. You, if you want to go read his testimony, the, the committee has it posted. It's hilarious. It's basically just marketing an ad copy. Um, he, in, he has, he tries to reassure, uh, Congress that, you know, of course, I'm, 
I'm the CEO. I'm in charge. But as we know, uh, actually, some reporting from The New York Times in, in January of this year showed, no, of course not. I mean, he reports, he doesn't control strategy or or any of the serious decision making that goes on with regard to TikTok, including security and strategy. That's all at ByteDance. That's all headquartered in Beijing. He reports to Beijing. He does he not have- Singapore. He's yeah, He Singapore. lives in Singapore, but he is an agent of Beijing. And that is that the idea that he's somehow some independent guy is ridiculous on its face, although that's what he'll argue. But where the the teenagers in the impact of social media come in is is twofold. One is obviously TikTok is is a giant competitor to a lot of uh, social media platforms, uh, you know, Facebook, Instagram, all the, the uh, Snap, all all the ones that are kind of founded here in the U.S. But what what TikTok is going to try to argue is that they shouldn't be banned because the vast majority of people who've embraced TikTok and love it, and they have all this all this stuff in the statement about how it got them through the darkest days of the pandemic, are young. And so what you're going to see them argue, I assume, is, you know what, politicians who need the youth vote down the line do not get rid of the youth vote's favorite toy right now because they will punish you for it. That's an argument that that um, Gina Raimondo of the Biden administration has made publicly. Uh, Jamal Bowman has been defending TikTok, saying we shouldn't have a ban because the kids love it. So you do actually you will see a kind of effort to make its popularity an argument against concerns about the security breach it represents. I'm on team ban it. I think it's terrible. I don't think any person should have TikTok on their phone. I think they lie through their teeth about what information they're gathering. And the the reports we've had, the BuzzFeed report that you mentioned, John, about them tracking journalists, that is the tip of the iceberg. That's just what we've uncovered so far. This is not something people sh- in this country should have on their phones. And many states are banning it for their state employees for, for good reason. But we will see, I I think a version of that argument of, oh, but the kids love it. How could you take this away from them as some, you know, as a kind of way of triangulating around the security questions? So in essence, the argument is that, um, that uh, TikTok, corporate TikTok is the dealer. TikTok is the heroine and the kids are the innocents who are being fed free heroin in order to addict them. And the combo of the heroin and its potency is decided by Beijing. Right. So yeah, if you're comfortable with that, go for it on TikTok. (laughs) Right. I mean, look, I, 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 I am deeply uncomfortable with the idea that the U S government should, you know, should ban the social media platform. Like I, you know, this is not, uh, I do think that we are in a new world in the 21st century in which, uh, the transnational fact of the internet creates new kinds of national security threats that we don't even can't even begin to understand that we need to be able to manage. And uh, yeah, the idea that the that the Chinese military has will essentially could have access to uh, in TikTok. You know, like I don't know if I don't really I, I don't use TikTok, so I, I you know like credit card data, uh, not just, just demographic this- data, but credit card. They can shut things off. They can you know use algorithms. To, yeah, they can prop. They can they can throw things at p- kids. They can shut off uh, things that they don't want people to see. All of that I don't think is quite the same as being able to manipulate and understand the domestic population of the United States in a way that even people in the United States cannot because they have control of it. And by, by, and this guy Chu saying that, no, no, they don't really have access. It's all going to be fine. What's more, we've proposed uh, bringing everything into servers in the United States that Oracle will run, and they'll be here in the United States, and nobody in China will be able to get to them. Well, what, are mean, you kidding yeah, me? Like how, he's lying was, for one thing. That's a lie. Yesterday, yeah. like what? But but you don't have to totally yeah. ban the app for everyone in the United States. What you could do though is have more transparency. You could ban it for people who have any sort of security clearance or work in government. I think that that I'm supportive right. of. That's where you should ban it. 
Um, we do that all the time with all kinds of things that that we feel are security risks or risks to how the country's governed. But you could actually, you know, if you're going to put TikTok on your phone, you could have a whole list of things that pop up and say, this is this is owned by ByteDance, which is uh, run yeah. by the Chinese. Like you could. So people would know that what they are doing is making use of a Chinese government uh, tool that could potentially, you know, be feeding them misinformation. But they could have it. They would know right now the I think people sort of shrug and go, it's just it's cool videos and I love them and it's fun. And, and you know, some people make money off of those. So how could you shut that down? I mean, China shuts down America's social media platforms and Constantly. search engines, right? You can't access Google or Twitter in China. Um, well, why are we so integrated into Chinese information technology? We be- This pushback began under Trump. It began with Huawei. Uh, it's it, Trump tried to uh, ban TikTok and force a sale. It, it didn't work. And now we're kind of back where we were around 2020. A well, it lot didn't of work because he lost focus. Like he lost focus because yeah, he, was there... working, he wanted G's cooperation right. in helping with the pandemic, which is pretty. I think there were some legal challenges. About it. There were some, there were other. Yeah. Um, I recall talking to a guy who uh, kind of works in tech and the lobbying side. And he said that a lot of CEOs were telling Trump, well, look, if you, seize TikTok, which was one of the things yeah. he was discussing. Uh, what's to stop Xi Jinping from seizing Apple in China, seizing the factory? And that kind of spooked Trump. But what, what we're having now is um, congressional pressure. I mean, it's this bill coming from the Senate. It's a bipartisan bill, Jonathan and Mark Warner uh, coming together. Uh, it looks like it's going to pass, which will basically give the uh, executive branch the tools to um, to fight back against this technology, to, to ban the technology. And that's why I think you see um, the TikTok uh, CEO coming to Congress in order to stop this. One one potential um, res- uh, outcome was proposed uh, by, um, I think, Raimondo, where she's saying that, well, look, if they sell the company, if they sell TikTok to an, to an American company, that will be fine. But uh, it's cost a lot of money. I think it's valued at $50 billion. And if it's not safe for government, the very fact that so many states and now the executive branch of the federal government are saying it's not safe to have it on your phone. If you work for government, why should it be safe for teenagers to have it on their phone? I mean, um, everything. Okay, so I can make that I can make that case. And not that I want to. I'm just the, 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 the devil's advocate argument is. You can't have it on your phone if you work for a state government or for the federal government because they may be able to spy on you as a public official through TikTok. I don't know how, we don't know, we don't know what the modalities work. They can put a cookie, they can follow, they can do whatever. Don't ask me. I'm just, now I'm like talking like a like an illiterate, but that's the argument whereas who wants to follow a teenager to the 7-Eleven where they're, you know, get, where they're getting their icy? I mean, you know, it's like that. So, yeah, so but, the issue is whether or not it's bad. Yeah, but you're not right? a teenager forever. But, you try, right. if you store that data, you can Fair use it enough. down the line. And it's also right. the case that the one of the, look, so there's the spying danger, the data danger, but then there's also TikTok as a tool of political information warfare. And we see evidence of that, and in terms of it, the algorithms suppressing stories about uh, the Chinese crime, government crimes against the Uyghurs, uh, information that is critical or detrimental to the health of the Chinese Communist Party. In a say a scenario where America is in direct conflict with China, we don't know what the algorithm would start pushing. So, and that's a way by that's a way for the Chinese Communist Party to shape public opinion in the United States, right? And I I think for that reason, you don't necessarily want the teenagers to have access to it. Um, and it's it's what Christine was saying as well. The, I mean, if the, if the, the argument from someone like Jamal Bowman, who just continues to not impress with his advocacy for TikTok, is look at how we're addicted to this. Why would you take it away from us? Well, that's actually precisely why we we should be worried about you having it. That, that yeah. so many people are addicted. I, I've got to say, like, I've, I've stayed quiet on this because I know my position is 
unreasonably harsh here. Like, I say ban it even if it's American-owned. I think TikTok is terrible. I mean, it is responsible for the sort of social contagion of a lot of rather rather uh, harmful ideas, particularly about you know uh, transgender activism and stuff. We a lot of those TikTok video, the, a lot of those are TikTok videos, and, and we've seen social contagion effects through TikTok. Yeah, I, I, I don't I don't know how it's different from a from an unregulated drug. It changes your brain chemistry. Uh, it is profoundly addictive. Um, I think it 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 can and will be linked um, repeatedly to the 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 teen mental health crisis in this country. Um, that plus the fact that it is um, uh, uh, dangerous in, in terms of um, uh, uh, foreign spying and 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 national security and all the rest of it. I mean, uh, you know, this is the this is the difficulty with 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 free speech regimes is that you is that uh, a lot of bad ideas are 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 more easily promulgated in a world in which in which um, uh, the idea is that the free exchange of ideas or information or entertainment or stuff like that are, are you know is paramount and. Uh, uh, so I I don't know that that is a tenable. I think morally it's a tenable view, but you know no, obviously I think I know that's why I didn't want to, yeah. want to say. No, it, but, but no, but no, but I mean I look. I think Christine is pretty close to where you are as a as a moral matter, right? I mean, writing a book on this very subject and it, it is a huge issue, and it will be you know hundred years from now how America navigated this the introduction of this entirely new form of mass communication which really when you think about it started 15 years ago i mean it's not like well you know first there was you know there was theater and then there was vaudeville and then there was radio and then there were movies and then there was television like there was nothing ever and there was never anything like this ever in all of human history and then it happened and then and the other thing about it that, that that's also unprecedented and also I think adds to the problem is that TikTok, like all social media, kind of exists in this nether region of intellectual property rights. I mean, you know, the, the copyrighted material is constantly peddled by people who don't have the copyright to it. And it's it's just it's um it's a it's a it's a the, the wild west element of it, uh yeah. in so many different dimensions is going to have to be reckoned with. If we don't, we, we're not going to reckon with it now, I, I presume. It's going to keep well, coming I don't up. Know. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think, I, I mean, this effort may really be successful. Um, This is the first real, really serious challenge to the, Social media regime. You could say like all the wars that p people saying Facebook should, you know, has to blah blah blah. You know, this is terrible. They won the election. The Russians are manipulating it and all of that. Uh, I, I just don't think that that really had a. But I mean, they they may this may really end up with ByteDance having to sell TikTok now. Whether or not that whether or not that has the net effect, it certainly won't have any effect of the moral effect of the sort that. Christine and Abe, you're talking about here, but but the argument that our national security is directly affected by the access of the Chinese military to the minds, bodies, social behavior, and uh, attitudes of um, you know ordinary Americans, and that we have the right to defend ourselves against it. That's a that that would that would be a pretty revolutionary and important step. We did have throughout the Cold War, there were a series of rules and regulations governing our our connections to totalitarian countries. They did not have access to our markets. They did not have access to the free market, and as we did not have access to them. And China has you know managed to kind of you know sink in here in a way that is going to have to be unwound if the next 25 years are a great power competition between us and the Chinese. They can't own 10% of our economy or whatever, you know, I mean, they, they can't be in that 
position if we are, you know, basically if if the general national consensus is that we're in a great power competition. Well, and we shouldn't want them to own the attention of rising generations of Americans. I mean, that's where it, yes, it tips over into a moral argument, but that's where I think that's where you reach bipartisan consensus among parents, among educators, among a lot of people who otherwise are very polarized on a number of political questions. This one actually has a lot of bipartisan uh, oomph. Absolutely. Okay. Well, we'll be back tomorrow. Maybe we'll examine how the hearing, the TikTok hearing went yesterday uh, or today. It will be yesterday, tomorrow, because here we have the, the tense problem here on yesterday, 323 23. <laughs> Do you remember 8888? Uh, I remember that. I was Time is a God. flat circle on the commentary <laughs> podcast. This same. is true. Yes, it is true. Okay. We'll, uh, and we'll be back tomorrow. So uh, for Abe, Christine, and Matt, I'm John Podhoritz. Keep the candle burning.